it's good to be in real estate. Record high values, low cap rates, high occupancies, low interest rates. Generally speaking, in many parts of the country, life is good. Real estate is great. But for anyone who's been in the business for more than five minutes, we operate on cycles and political climates and rely on the sanctity of law and property rights. And that's only one part of a big complex industry driving our country's economy and well-being. 2021 was a year for the history books, along with food, gas, and literally everything else on the planet, rents rose dramatically. Government action drive prices higher directly through tariffs, prevailing wage laws, and increased regulations on business practices, or indirectly through deficit spending and expansion of the money supply. Businesses need a voice in the room when these measures are being discussed. Every new administration in Washington presents risks and opportunities for business. Mitigating these risks and seizing those opportunities are two of our next guest's superpowers. I'm delighted to have him back on the show after helping us launch NAHB Power Hitters so long ago, Jim Tobin, EVP and Chief Lobbyist at one of our nation's powerhouse advocacy organizations, NAHB. Jim, it is great to have you back on the show. Lynn, it's great to, great to be with you again. Hard to, hard to believe it's been so long, and yet uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem that long in a lot of ways. Over a million views later. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Since you were last on Yield Pro TV, there has been a change of guard in Washington. Give us an overview on housing from the federal government under the new administration. Well, the, the, the Biden administration, uh, you know, really, really came in uh, just about a year ago now uh, with two, two pillars uh, that they that they want to move forward over the four years of the president's uh, term or, or first term. Uh, and, and there are two areas where housing actually intersects uh, you know, almost perfectly with them. The first is economic opportunity. Uh, people talk about it as economic, environmental justice, uh, but leveling the playing field for uh, those in, in the, at the lower economic economic strata uh, of the country and giving more opportunities to those people. Uh, the second is climate change. And how do, how do we combat uh, the perceived threat of climate change, super storms, and, and, and how that's going to impact the, the nation's economy moving forward? And as I said, housing, housing crosses both of those almost perfectly. Housing is the number one wealth creator in this country. It's the gateway to the middle class for so many people. So my job is making sure that NHB is at the forefront of working with this administration to make sure that housing is taken care of uh, in the next four years to make that engine of economic opportunity available for everybody, starting from safe, decent, affordable rental housing, all the way to a first time home buyer and ownership, and then moving up as people grow their families and, and talk about retirement. Climate change, that's a different, kind of a different story for housing. With, with I mentioned super storms and just, and just different climate events, happening across the country. We just saw the tornadoes tear through Kentucky. Uh, you'd see the impact on housing, wildfires uh, out West and in Colorado most recently. Those things are, we talk about housing as how are we more resilient and building more resilient or more energy efficient to combat climate change. Of course, when we talk about how we do, do build differently, we also talk about how do we build more expensively in many cases. And that's where we interact on that as well, making sure that if we're going to work on uh, ways to make sure the built environment is more resilient and more efficient, 
that it doesn't increase costs to then counter uh, the first pillar of this administration, which is economic opportunity. HUD Secretary Fudge and FHFA nominee Sandra L. Thompson have both indicated they will focus on equity in housing. How is this focus likely to change the business environment for housing providers? We're going to see, I believe what we're going to see is an infusion of money and capital and and financing options down at the lower end. We talked about that economic opportunity for those who may have been left behind in the ownership model in America. So making mortgages more more affordable and more available for 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 those first-time homebuyers. First-generation homebuyers is a very popular phrase now in Washington, D.C., but it's really going to be a focus on that low end. Uh, We're not going to see uh, kind of that missing middle focus where we have people that are caught uh, you know, maybe they already have their first home, but they're looking to expand. Uh, we're not certainly not going to see a, a focus on the high end, uh, which does affect some of the high cost states like California, Illinois, my home state of Connecticut. Um, we're going to that part of the market will generally take care of itself. And the administration is going to make sure that it functions. But that's not their focus. Again, that focus is going to be on the low end. Uh, so that first time home buyer, those uh, the low income housing tax credit properties, uh, that, that affordable rental. That's where the focus of this administration and HUD is going to be. The reconciliation bill, which stalled before Christmas, had $150 billion for housing. This included $65 billion for public housing, $25 billion for affordable housing, $24 billion for housing vouchers, and $10 billion for down payment assistance. Thought to be dead, there are now reports that negotiations on this bill with Senator Manchin have resumed. Look into your crystal ball and tell us, what are the prospects for its passage? Oh boy! Uh, if 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 I had a crystal ball, I'd be uh, I'd, I'd be I'd be doing uh, probably different than I am now, right? Um, so so yeah, Joe Manchin got to play the Grinch uh, to the Democrats uh, in the grand plans in the White House before Christmas. There have been reports of of some of some conversations over the last three weeks. I think those are overblown and an attempt by the White House to give a little bit more momentum to the Build Back Better slash reconciliation plan than there really is. Joe Manchin came out earlier this week and threw cold water on that and said, no one's talking to me about this in a serious manner. I think Joe Bi- I'm sorry, I think Joe Manchin wants to rip up the whole plan and start over. He said as much that he wants to go through the committee process. He wants Republican buy-in. Of course, we know Republicans aren't going to buy into this. Um, do I think something happens? I do. I, I think it's obviously much smaller than the $1.75 trillion we were, we were negotiating before Christmas. Um, much, much smaller than that maybe focus on a handful of, of, of little things that get extended or are passed for a, for a longer period of time. Um, but I think this is just too important to the president, too important to the Democrats in general. And I think when you layer politics on it, it's really important to get something done ahead of the midterm elections in November of this year. Assuming that the reconciliation bill does not advance, what are the chances that the housing provisions of this bill will be incorporated in other legislation? Well, Linda, you mentioned the $150 billion uh, in historic housing investments uh, that was included in the reconciliation package. Uh, and, you, and as you said, it, that was focused on the low end. That was all down on, on the voucher side and the public housing side. It's going to take a bipartisan uh, effort uh, in order to move that big of a package forward. Um, if we do get to another package, a much smaller package, I do think there will be some money in there for housing. It won't be $150 billion. As the package shrinks, every facet of it shrinks as well. I'm hopeful we'll see some money for housing in there. On the tax side, there's more. There's a, a big investment in the low-income housing tax credit program, something we very much support. 
Um, but again, it's going to take some some bipartisan effort or just a real shrinking of of, of the of the uh, of the pot in order to realize some 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 extra money in housing. That said, we have always been an advocate for a comprehensive housing program. It is time to stop looking at housing in a piecemeal fashion. Taxes here, a little bit of spending there. Let's have a big sit down. Let's let's get to a big housing package, you know, akin to what we did 30 years ago with the Cranston Gonzalez legislation, and think of housing holistically from the low end to the high end to finance to taxes, and let's tackle it. Maybe this is our opportunity. And AHB and other advocates for the real estate industry were able to preserve the 1031 exchange in 2021. With the government hungry for revenue, what tax law changes are being discussed which would impact the housing industry? Well, th thanks for recognizing our, our work on, on like-kind exchanges. That's a, a very important financing tool for the real estate industry. Another one is carried interest. That was one that we were very worried about. Our multifamily developers certainly understand the value of the carried interest provisions in this country. We were able to make sure that those weren't included in the package as well. But what do I think of is in danger? I think it's overall taxation in general. I think that we're going to see an increase on successful businesses in this country. We talked to the president put a bright line at people earn $400,000 a year or less, that they will not be affected by any tax changes are successful businessmen and women in this industry, they're gonna see their taxes go up, whether it's an imposition uh, of the 4.3% uh, Obamacare tax, that is going to be expanded uh, and, and more people are going to be uh, included in, in, in that 4.3% that tax. Um, you know, For our more successful members uh, who are millionaires, we're gonna see a millionaire's tax as, as well. Um, but I think that that is generally where we're gonna see real estate get most affected, kind of on the bottom line taxes. Uh, rather than some, you know, real rifle shots going at uh, or specifically at uh, real estate itself. We were able to stave many of those off. The previous administration's opportunity zones focused on more than just housing. This program was slow to roll out because of delays in developing the detailed rules for its operation. How would you rate the impact of the program on housing supply and what are the prospects for its continuation? That's a great question. I, I think from, from housing, I, I know I know many of our members have used opportunity zones to, to build to build housing. Uh, so I think from there, it's been a success, not the great success that uh, I think that the authors of the of the opportunity zones had hoped so far. Remember, we're only three, almost four years into opportunity zones. You're absolutely right. Uh, it took a long time for Treasury to get the rules out and get the rules right. I'm hopeful that we'll see some acceleration now. Uh, remember, if the opportunity zones go away. Uh, in three more years, at the end of 2025, if you're going to try to drive investment into a tax program, there has to be a reasonable expectation that it's going to extend longer than seven years or 10 years. We saw the same back after the Tax Reform Act back in the 80s. The new low-income housing tax rate took a long time to get going because it was set to expire. Of course, after they fixed it in the early 90s, it accelerated and became the most important uh, affordable housing program, affordable rental housing program in our country. Opportunity Zone still has still has the chance to do that. We just have to give it a little bit more time. What are NAHB's other legislative priorities for 2022, and what are the prospects of getting them done with the midterms fast approaching? Yeah, nothing 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 kills a, a legislative momentum more than the election year, uh, and and that's one of the things working against the reconciliation package. Now that we flip the calendar to 2022 election year politics start getting very, very heavy. We really only have about six months of, or maybe seven of effective legislative time between now 
in, in July to get anything done. Um, so our priorities, it's fixing the supply chain and, and the lumber crisis that we're going through right now. Um, on lumber, hard for Congress to really interact. You've got a tariff war with Canada right now. So that's more of an administration play. Uh, but we do use the power of Congress to keep leaning on this administration to do something about lumber prices, supply chain issues. It's absolutely uh, crushing the members. I've heard routinely of $600,000, certainly six-figure increases in supply costs, delays that are keeping projects either from penciling out or just delaying customer delivery uh, of apartments or, or, or single-family units. Uh, getting Congress to pay attention to the ports, the truck drivers, the labor shortages that we're seeing right now, getting inflation under control uh, and trying to make sure that we, you know, we're, we're getting ready for the Fed to start raising interest rates to combat inflation. Interest rates may go are likely to go up in mortgage rates as well. Uh, we'll see what kind of effect that has on, on, the, on the industry moving forward through the course of this year. Um, but for us, it's about trying to get that housing package passed uh, in some form, trying to use the Congress to, to combat the supply chain issues that we're facing across the country. Uh, and then also making sure that Congress is keeping an eye on the administration to form a backstop from some of the regulatory burdens that we're starting to see in the environmental space or some of the OSHA regulations that are starting to get promulgated from the administration. Getting Congress to keep an eye on those and kind of push back a little bit as much as they can. Never has your work been more important, Jim. Well, thanks for another great show. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for your prescience in helping us launch so long ago. Well, thank you, Linda, for having me. It, it's great. Congratulations on, on all those views and look forward to visiting with you again. Thank you. Hope so. Times, they are a-changing. Through it all, higher wages, more disposable income is expected to drive both urban and suburban rent growth, but mostly suburban and mostly Class B product. Capital will continue to scout deals and multifamily will continue to be favorable for both equity and debt financing. Setting the table for success keeping the machine humming is left to the capable hands of our Capitol Hill advocates like Jim Tobin and NAHB. They know the history, they understand the owners, and they know what owners and operators need. Mostly a clear and unobstructed path. Thank you for joining us. I'm Linda Hoffman. Look for our next exciting episode of NAHB Power Hitters. <laughs>